And we have a story about brands. So brands aren't logos. Brands are promises, shortcuts. And here's how I like to think about it. If Nike opened a hotel, I'm guessing with your eyes closed, you could figure out what it would be like pretty much. But if Hyatt came out with a brand of sneakers, no clue. Because Hyatt has a logo, Hyatt doesn't have a brand. Because Hyatt doesn't have a story. But Nike has a story. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm your host, Dan Moyle, and I believe in the power of story from personal connections and entertainment to uh, telling your story about your business. Whatever that looks like, storytelling is what connects us and it separates us from all other life on the planet. What other animal tells a story, right? no other being but us. Uh, we're about to dive into yet another great story with a fantastic storyteller. But before we do, one quick reminder that my website has wonderful resources available, past episodes, and contact information there for me. If you want to connect with me, uh, visit thestorytellersnetwork.com for all of that. And, uh, and if you're new, text storytellers to 31996 to get a text back and to subscribe to the show. So appreciate you listening. Now today's guest, is an author of uh, almost two dozen books and who at one time said the future of publishing is about having connections to readers and the knowledge of what readers want most. I think that goes for all of us storytellers. He pioneered the idea of permission marketing. He's a storyteller in written and spoken formats as well as audio. He is everywhere. You can find him at his blog where he upends the old adage that more is better. Sometimes he writes only a relatively few words and yet gets a ton of attention for what he's writing. Uh, his latest book, this is marketing, takes a hard look at the modern marketplace and teaches us that you can't be seen until you learn to see. It's a wonderful book and I highly recommend it. Today I have the privilege of having a conversation with the one and only Seth Godin. So let's get to Seth's story. Welcome to the Storytellers Network, Seth. Thank you uh, so much for taking time out of your day to, to speak with listeners and give us a little bit of insight, man. Well, thank you for doing this. I know it's a thankless job, so I will say thank you. <laughs> showing up, showing up, showing up. You keep uh, doing it. Good for well, you. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm working on uh, our episode. Looks like it'll be right about number 69 or so, 70, somewhere in there. Great. So it's, it's been a, a, a passion for sure, but yeah, a bit thankless at times. So I appreciate that. Um, now, you're a storyteller to me. Do you consider yourself a storyteller, Seth? Oh yeah. yeah. And um, a lot of people don't understand what the word story means. Your listeners do, but we might want to remind them anyway, has yeah. nothing to do with David Curhan, ghost stories, once upon a time, happily ever after. Right. None of that. And I, as people who tell stories, we should probably invent a new word for it, but we're stuck with storytelling. Yeah, we kind of are. So what does it, what does it mean to you? I want to hear from your words. The reason we use the word story is because stories have beginnings, middles, and ends. They are a journey. And a story in another language is not understood. So the only way a story works is if it is told to us with empathy 
uh, and takes us somewhere that we are willing to go. So stories involve tension, they involve change, and they're interesting. And so what we do, whether we want to or not, is if we are interacting with another human being, we are telling them a story. If you show up for a job interview late with your tie askew uh, and they're a close talker, then you've already told me a story about you and the way you care about me. Uh, so there's storytelling in everything we do. Uh, the you know, people who are listening can't see that you have an orange uh, pop filter on your microphone. Yep. That orange pop filter is telling me a story. So everyone's a storyteller. You might as well be a good one. Absolutely. And, and we can use story, I would guess, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And you said we use it in everything, but we can use it for uh, entertainment. Obviously we, we all know that we can use it for business. That's what everybody's talking about. But we can use it for education too. And probably just for connecting. I mean, it's a pretty powerful medium, right? Well, yeah. It's, it's the only medium hmm. that Marcel Duchamp told the story. Jackson Pollock told the story. William Shakespeare told the story. Patty Smith tells the story. That's all you got. That's mm -hmm. all you got. So when you have a math teacher who mistakenly thinks his job is to teach arithmetic and his story is that he's boring, it doesn't matter that math is true. It doesn't matter that arithmetic will be on the test. What matters is you projected a story of being selfish, uncaring, narcissistic, and boring. And so I'm not going to listen to you. Sorry. <laughs> I like that. He has his own story that, that makes us connect with him. Math can be true, but it can be ridiculous. So exactly. I love that. Now in, in, so in your newest book, this is marketing. You talk about making a change and you use story to inspire. In fact, in just the intro to the book, I was ready to pick up my sword and my shield and take on the dragon. <laughs> even though later you say it's not a battle or a war, but I felt like that. Right. So how do you inspire like that? Do you think of that story before you sit down to write? With all, with, I've written 19 bestsellers, 17 of them I had written in my head before I sat down to write them. Okay. It is way more fun to spend a year exploring and researching and work yourself into a corner and have to work your way out of it. But I don't do that. Um, so when people say, how long did it take you to write the dip? and I say 17 days, they're stunned. But it didn't take me 17 days. I thought about it for a year. And then I sat down and wrote a book. So in the case of, the, in the case of This Is Marketing, I need stories to build the foundation and the walls of the edifice I seek to make. So if I don't have stories, I can't write. Because that's what the purpose of writing is, is to codify and concretize the story. Now, sometimes the story I will tell you will be, there's a store called Penguin Magic. Let me tell you about it. That feels more like a story. But the less concrete stuff in the book are stories as well. And we use story for businesses. We talk about that a ton. And that's part of what I do with the Storytellers Network is talk about storytellers being able to find real jobs out there. Um, but, it's, but it's so much more than that. And, and and I want to get to some of that, but I kind of want to chase the story, chase the idea about businesses though. How, how can an average business person make that happen with story to where people do feel that engaged and ready to pick up the sword, so to speak? I mean, how, how can an average business person start that? Uh, 
how does Cinderella get invited to the ball? It's not about the slipper. So let's go like back and back and back and back. If you think you're an average business person, then you are. If you think you are selling a commodity product, then you are. If you think that price is the most important thing, then it is. So you must begin with that. You have the chance to change somebody for the better. You have the chance to bring them something that they need in a way that they need it brought to them. And the fact that Amazon sells it for less is completely irrelevant. <laughs> that if you are hiding behind better or lowest price, then you're not telling a story because you think that all you need to do is prove that you're better or prove you have the lowest price. So you've stripped away the humanity of it so you can hide. That what it means to tell a story is to say, I see you, I hear you, I care about you, come with me on this journey. Why would you bother doing that if you're the only person in the stadium who sells a hot dog? Fine, if you want a hot dog, here's a hot dog. That's not a story. It, when your salesmanship of the hot dog reminds me of my dad going to the minor league game with me when I was 12, that's when I'm buying. I am not out of calories. I don't need to eat a piece of recycled meat with who knows how many rodent hairs in it. I want to remember what it was like to be 12. That is what you're selling me. So tell me a story about that. And that can start, I mean, at the very top of the, like to stay with baseball, that can start at the very, start at the very top all the way down to that vendor, right? Exactly. I mean, connecting with people is what it comes down to, right? Exactly. And if you get a chance to listen to the podcast with the founder and owner of the Savannah Bananas, you will learn a lot about storytelling in baseball. Oh, he, Jesse Cole. He's a hoot. He should have him on your show. Yeah, that's a great idea. I, I, actually, it's funny because it, it's a, it becomes a small world, especially as you get into podcasting. I do know Jesse through working with him at, a, at, a, at an agency that I used to work for. And, and I love following him on LinkedIn. And, and I've thought about inviting him on in, in one of my later seasons. So, yeah, I'll be reaching out to him. Cool. Uh, yeah. Tell him I said hi. We've never met, but I'm a fan. I will. Yeah. Yeah. He's incredible. He's so much fun. And, and he really does wear that yellow tux everywhere, even at, <laughs> even at conferences. So <laughs> he's a lot of fun. Um, where do you think businesses get it wrong with story though? They get it wrong with humanity. If they got it right with humanity, the story part would take care of itself. Businesses. There, so there are three ages of capitalism. The first age lasts the longest. It was, it's hard to make stuff. Industrialism really hard, really, really hard. No electricity, steam engines, really hard. And then about 50 years ago, we shifted to the age of marketing, really expensive, not hard, but expensive, meaning lots of people can make stuff now, but we're the only ones who spend $20 million promoting what we make. That's over. And now we're entering the age of connection, which is not hard to make something. It's not hard to find $20 million to promote it. Hard to do it in a way that connects with another human. Once you decide to do that, you're going to be able to do it. So it's, it's not necessarily the, the information revolution. It's the connection revolution. Is that what I hear? Absolutely. There is no information shortage. No one wakes up in the morning saying, I wish I had more information. <laughs> no kidding. The reason people get hooked on the stupidity of mass media and the situation room and the crisis of the day is so that when they run into their peers, they won't feel stupid. 
How is it that you didn't know about Roger? Well, I didn't read the news today. I feel stupid. So I better read the news before I go talk to anybody because that's a method for connection. Hmm. And what you said earlier too about empathy. I mean, that's a, that's the only connector really, isn't it? Well, empathy enables connection. Okay. So in the book, I talk about practical empathy. Uh, you don't know what I know. You don't want what I want. You don't see what I see. And that's okay. And if you can't add the last sentence, there can be no connection, right? Mm -hmm. But to add the last sentence requires the humility to accept that there is no better, right? That what you want and what I want might be different. So the thing I have might not be for you. And that's okay. If I can say that, then we can connect. So Seth, you, you have such a different way of looking at things. I love how in This Is Marketing, you talk about this making change, making positive impact, changing the world. Uh, you know, you, you started off, you need to start off with Purple Cow, but you, you know, a book like Purple Cow talks about differentiation. You've always seemingly to me been comfortable with being different like that and kind of leading the way. How hard is it as a, as a storyteller to lead that way? Do you get pushback or do you thrive in that? No, I'm not comfortable being that way. Mm. I'm just a professional. Mm. And I don't want to dig ditches for a living, nor do I want to be a bank teller. Mm. So I have the chance to act as if. I have the chance to say, well, if I was willing to be uncomfortable in the way I see this, what would I do? And um, that's the thing about writer's block. There's no such thing as writer's block. What there is, is discomfort and the pain of writing poorly. And if you are able to deal with the discomfort and the pain, then you can write poorly. I hope we can all agree. And if you write poorly often enough, you will write well. And for storytellers who aren't necessarily inherently writers, you know, so many people nowadays are using Instagram stories, Facebook live, photos, video, everything else. Does story still start with essentially writing? Okay, so let me be clear. I'm not talking about typing. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about writing. Writing is using abstract symbols to present an idea. Now, you could write by reading your words out loud, even if they're not on a piece of paper. You're still writing in real time, deciding what words to use next. And maybe you don't want to use abstract symbols. Maybe you want to use pictures. You're still writing in that I could make a screenplay of what you just did, right? Zoom tight on the picture of tulips. I wrote that down. So if you can't write it down, then I'll argue it's not writing. But if you're a storyteller, you're probably doing something we can write down. So becoming comfortable with multiple medium, media, multiple ways to get a story out is kind of important in this day and age, I would guess then. So when you say writing, you cover yeah, all of that. I'm not, I'm not crazy about multiple. I think it's becoming comfortable with being ignored, becoming comfortable with being wrong, becoming comfortable with not getting the vibe right. That's what you have to get comfortable with. It's really interesting. When I give a talk, if there's Q&A, five people ask a question, and then the host will say, okay, if there are no more questions, and then seven people will run up to the podium to ask me their secret question. Mm -hmm. Why couldn't you ask me your secret question before? Well, 
The only correct answer is because I was worried people would laugh at me. And if you're that worried about people laughing at you, then you're not going to be willing to tell a good story. Is, is that what we mean when we talk about vulnerability and authenticity? Okay, so I have a rant about authenticity that I'm chatting <laughs> out more and more. Authenticity is a trap. No okay. one cares about authenticity. No one wants you to be authentic. I mean, maybe when George Clooney goes on Oprah, they want to see an authentic moment of George Clooney-ness. But the fact is, if you tune into a George Clooney movie, you don't want to see authentic George Clooney. You want to see movie star George Clooney. And if you go to get heart surgery and a pacemaker put in, you don't want authentic surgeon. You want professional surgeon. That's what you hired. And go down the list. I don't think Mark Marin is as neurotic on command as he appears to be. I think that neurotic Mark Marin is probably not that authentic in the moment that he presses record on the podcast. He is playing a role. And as long as you can keep the promise that you made about the role you are playing, we will be happy. We don't actually want you to be authentic. So is vulnerable the same thing as authentic? Okay, so Brene and I might disagree about this, but let's try this. <laughs> if you like board games, the word vulnerable has a real meaning to it, which means I can beat this person, kill the opposition by going to their weak side. They are vulnerable here. That's not a good thing to be if you want to be a resilient, long-term professional human. So I think what we mean usually is I would like to work with a human who acts like a human, who hears me, who can be impacted by my words. But I'd rather not work with someone who's going to drop dead on the spot, right? So I don't read my Amazon reviews and I haven't in more than five years. And I recommend no writer read their Amazon reviews, mostly because they're never going to write that book again. So what good is feedback on a book you're never going to write again? But what I also know is my writing regimen or whatever is fragile enough that if I've got the voice of a one-star reviewer in my head, it's harder for me to write well that all a one-star review is saying is, this book wasn't for me. Okay, that's all you have to write. Everything below that is meaningless because other people gave it five stars. So therefore, you're not saying on an absolute level, this book is garbage. You're saying, for me, my kind of person doesn't work. That's all we got to tell us. You gave us the hint we needed. But instead, people vent their spleen and go on and on and on. Well, at some level, I'm vulnerable to that and I must avoid it. That's different than if a thoughtful person engages in the Alt-MBA or engages in the marketing seminar and gives me useful, constructive feedback that's broader than just one person, I am super open to that. It's a gift. I'll take it. But it will not damage my psyche because it's about my work, not about me. Help me make my work better. Thank you very much. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's hopefully constructive, like you said, thoughtful. Um, I mean, that seems to be a good piece of advice for storytellers, for writers, for creators, to look for that constructive, not to worry about the, the haters, I guess. Right? Well, the I mean, haters are telling you something very specific and super simple. Mm -hmm. They didn't like it. Okay, fine. Next. It wasn't for you. Next. What's wrong with that? Don't memorize your negative Yelp reviews. There's no upside. 
great advice. Now with, with 19 bestsellers uh, and, and you're a prolific writer with your blog, where do you find that inspiration? Is it, is it through routine? Is it through hearing other stories? Is it just innately in you? Where does that come from? Si? Yeah, it's not a gift. This is silly. It's not a gift. It's work. No, plumbers don't get plumber's block. They don't say, oh, I don't know if I can fix this drain. They just do plumbing, right? Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a blog post for me tomorrow. I know there is. And I'll write the best one I got. And if you get into the habit of doing the work, you'll do the work. So, you know, maybe I've had eight extraordinary original ideas in the last 30 years, right? Deciding to invent commercial email and spending five years of my life on it. That changed part of the planet, you know, but eight, the rest of the time I write like I talk. And so if I can train myself to be sort of interesting, some people want to read it. And as they read it, hopefully go change the world. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's my main mission. Yeah. Right. And, and those changes can come in small ways. I mean, when you talk about that in your book, it felt very altruistic and big, but I don't, I don't think that's exactly what you mean. When you talk about oh. changing the world, what does that mean for you? Here's the deal. Everyone, what, what, what is culture? Culture is people like us do things like this. Everyone is surrounded by other people. You cannot change 7 billion people, but you could change seven. And if those seven people change seven people, now we're up to 49. And we only have to do that eight more times to touch every single person in the country, right? That the, the, these circles really are truly concentric and the ripples touch each other. So the problem with Twitter is it rewards people who make things worse. And I think if the people I reach spent their time making things better instead, then things will get better. And if we keep making things better, that would be a good thing. Yes, it would. So when you mentioned Twitter, Seth, uh, what do you, how, not what, how, how do you think social media has affected the craft of storytelling over these last few years? Okay, so the first thing to say is, if you use social media, you are not the customer, you are the product. Hmm. It is built to manipulate you into using it more so they can run more ads and make more money. That's what it's for. You are the product. The second thing I would say is it has given a lot of people who didn't have a voice, a voice. And I'm not shortchanging that. That's special. What's really interesting is so did blogging, but almost no one has a daily blog anymore because it puts people too much on the hook. And most social media takes you off the hook. It lets you be a ditto head. It lets you say, oh yeah, thumbs up, on to the next thing. Oh, there's a funny video about a cat. And as a result, you're spending two or three or four or five or six or seven hours not making anything better. And so I think that storytelling persists. I think that we don't have an unlimited appetite for a story from everyone. I'm a, and I know that tiny, trivial stories aren't enough to fuel us. And so a Lady Gaga or a Cardi B comes along, and their story is way more than 20 lyrics. Their story is the arc of them as human. And so celebrity culture is built on the idea that we have a story about every celebrity in our life. And the story may or may not be actually true, 
but the story fuels us and feeds us. And we have a story about brands. So brands aren't logos. Brands are promises, shortcuts. And here's how I like to think about it. If Nike opened a hotel, I'm guessing with your eyes closed, you could figure out what it would be like pretty much. But if Hyatt came out with the brand of sneakers, no clue. Because Hyatt has a logo, Hyatt doesn't have a brand. Because Hyatt doesn't have a story. But Nike has a story. And does that story come from storytellers? I mean, is that something that people can still go into and help craft that as a profession, right? Well, what, is, what do you think Phil Knight did for a living for 30 years? He made decisions and he told stories and they were related. You don't have to be the CEO, but I think it's extremely unlikely that there's going to be a really good job called chief storytelling officer where you get a private parking space, six weeks of vacation, and everyone listens to you. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. No, those are more founders, aren't they? Those are the chief storytellers. Exactly. Right. Um, so for you, you know, you talk about um, Lady Gaga, you mentioned Brene Brown. Do you have any storytellers that you really admire that you kind of go to for, I don't know if it's for inspiration or just for interest, but do you have storytellers that, that motivate you? Oh, yeah. There, I mean, I'll, I'll mention a couple of professionals to start us off. Uh, Patty Smith's first book, Just Kids, is the best audio book ever made. And in terms of classic storytelling, you can't listen to 15 minutes of that audio book without having it change your life. Either that or you don't have a heart. Um, my friend Brian Koppelman and his podcast, The Moment, he elicits the life story of people we admire and hearing what's important to them and what's not important to them, I find really useful. When I hear uh, the stories that Dan Carlin tells in Hardcore History, 11 hours about Genghis Khan, 11 hours. And I wish it had been 12 hours. It was that good, right? That again is a narrative form of storytelling that inspires me. But I also get just as much zing from reading Cory Doctorow, read, writing three paragraphs in Boing Boing, or the uh, first 20 pages of Dune by Frank Herbert. I mean, I could reread those first 20 pages many times and come out with 20 blog posts every time. Uh, so it's all over the map about who and how and what kind. You know, if I look at someone like Liz Jackson, Liz Jackson doesn't tell a story by writing. She tells a story by carrying a purple cane and you look at a picture of Liz and you look at the purple cane and you hear three minutes of her narrative and suddenly you look at the world differently. So it's everywhere we look if we look for it. So for business storytellers, those who are in this world professionally, whether it's business, marketing, sales, whatever it is, finding that inspiration from other areas, from entertainment, from other genres, other, other verticals or whatever, Sounds like it's a pretty important thing to do then. Well, at least for you. I don't think you run out of inspiration. Mm -hmm. I think you run out of guts. Mm -hmm. Most of the people who work at big companies who call themselves storytellers get stuck because they're afraid. When in doubt, look for the fear. What exactly are you afraid of? And, you know, if we think about a giant company like Unilever, this is true. On the same floor, just a bunch of cubes away from each other, is the brand manager for Axe 
and the brand manager for Dove. Right? You would think that they would just be in some sort of knife fight in an alley, <laughs> but they actually work just down the hall from each other. It's the same soap. It's just a story. So the question is, why did it take until 2016 for Dove to tell a story like that about beauty? And why did it, I, I mean, I wish they never had, but why does Axe tell the story they tell? Who are they telling that story to? In both cases, the act of telling the story wasn't nearly as difficult as deciding to tell the story. I have middle school daughters and the story of Axe is they can't stand their hallway because teenage boys. <laughs> because <hear> of Axe. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, I love it. Now, so those are some of your, uh, some of the people that you follow that inspire you. Is there a story that's happened to you over the life over, or an event that has happened to you over your life where it just, that story really, really changed you in some way? Is there an important story for you for Seth? Yeah, I, um, I have a podcast called the Kimbo and, um, in it, I did an episode about, uh, origin stories and we all know Spider-Man's origin story and we know Wonder Woman's origin story. Um, and we all have one too. That story is no more true or false than a different story we could tell ourselves. But the fact that we tell ourselves that story informs what we remember. So I remember what happened to me in June of 1974, but I don't remember what happened to me two days before or two days after. And I remember what happened to me in August of 1977. And I don't remember what I had for lunch that day or what happened to the next day. So by rehearsing the event, we make the event more true. So if that's not helping you, stop rehearsing the event and rehearse a different event instead. So I have been rehearsing the good fortune, the birthday lottery that I won and how amazing my parents were for 40 years. I tell that story to myself all the time. There are other people who had parents just as good as me who got beat up when they were 13 and they rehearsed that story instead, right? Well, if it's helping you, go for it. But if it's not, rewire it and tell yourself a different story over and over and over again because that becomes the true story. And, and you, so you're from New York, the state of New York. Buffalo, that's right. From Buffalo. Now, so forgive me, I'm in Michigan. Uh, how far is that from like, <laughs> how far is that from like New York City? 420 miles. Okay. So we, are, for, we are way closer to Detroit when I was in Buffalo than we gotcha. were to Buffalo culturally and geographically. Culturally, Buffalo is in the Midwest through and through. Okay. So growing up, you didn't necessarily have like the, the backdrop of New York city and all those storytellers. You had more of a Midwest upbringing than is what I'm guessing. I had a Midwest upbringing, but my grandparents lived in New York city. So we drove oh. in twice a year, eight hours in the car in the station wagon. <laughs> and I did stuff like when I was 12, I held up the New York city phone book and it was really thick. And I'm like, I wonder who I could call. So I open it up. And because I started with the A's, I call Isaac Asimov. He answers his own phone. And we have a nice little chat, me and Isaac. And then I call some obscure jazz musician. He answers his own phone. He, I probably woke him up. It was two o'clock in the afternoon. We have a nice conversation. I'm like, this is great. 
And I had this memory for years that we went to a Czechoslovakian restaurant when I was 13. And I've re reverse engineered it to realize it must have been a Thai restaurant, not because they don't have uh, shrimp with peanut sauce in Czechoslovakia. They have it in mm. Thailand. Um, and so, you know, the fact that I didn't live in New York City was great because we would show up and I would see these little tiny snippets of stories. And, you know, so in 1971, when I was 11, New York was in really big trouble. And I remember, like it's seared in my brain, two heroin addicts standing in front of Zay bars in New York City on a cold day with ripped down jackets, fighting with each other, two really skinny women. I didn't know what a heroin addict was. I didn't know what Zay bars were, was. I just knew there were people in the world who had a totally different deck of cards than I did. And there were people in the world who were looking deep, deep into an abyss. And I didn't sleep that night. And I don't think I slept the next night either. And I couldn't talk to my parents about it because I didn't really understand it. But it had a huge impact on me because there were stories writ large everywhere around me. And then the last one I'll tell you is uh, my mom was the first woman on the board of the museum in Buffalo, which is one of the best contemporary art museums in the world. So uh, every week, I was staring face to face with a Clifford Still or a Jackson Pollock or a Marisol or a Marcel Duchamp. And those are stories. You go look at a ready-made from Marcel Duchamp. That's a story. And so you learn it. You learn it in every corner if you're looking for it. That's an incredible story of empathy from a 13-year-old that you could see that and realize that you were handed, dealt those cards and other people weren't. That's that kind of emotional intelligence and, and empathy and awareness is, you know, it's, it almost sounds like buzzwords nowadays, but it is so important. I mean, it really yeah, is. It chokes me up just thinking about it. It was really raw. So uh, 19 bestsellers, a blog that I don't even know how many subscribers you have that listen, you know, or read um, a podcast. It seems to me like, like your, your journey has come to a point where you've kind of made it, so to speak. You're not done by any means. You've got more to do and to change. Uh, you speak around the, around the world. So you, to me, you've kind of made it. How, how do you get, I mean, it's, it's a lot of one step, one step, one step, I, I have to imagine. But is there a, a point in your life where you kind of realized I'm about to make it or this is a turning point for me? I mean, how does, how does that look for you at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's happened to me a few times. When I, when I got my SAT scores, I realized I wasn't doomed to, you know, stay in Buffalo and maybe become a windshield wiper salesman. Uh, and then when permission marketing was in the right place at the right time, that let me understand that I could, if I wanted to, do this book thing. Um, but mostly I interpreted it as an obligation. I think that I get a chance to make things better and I am trusted by some people and I don't want to let them down. So it's one day I will just be quiet and stop, but I'm not prepared to disappoint people or sell them out. So right now the focus is on the workshops and the seminars and say, okay, thank you for trusting me. Now it's on you. Can I help you level up? And we have to keep digging to do that well because we know how fearful people are and we want to help them get through that fear. Sounds like uh, admirable work. Now, so when that time come, 
comes to, to be silent. Or somebody said to you today, Seth, you're a great storyteller, but you're all done telling stories. What would that last story that you'd want to go out on look like for you? <laughs> I'm not going to re I'm not going to pre-write that last blog post. I have no idea. It's always situational. And, um, you know, when fireworks became a big deal, it occurred to me that the fireworks people were making a mistake because there isn't an internationally recognized signal for it. this is the last firework. And what that means is that you're sitting there watching and they top themselves and they top themselves and then it sort of ends and you don't know it's the end. It might be. The, so the, the end is always anticlimactic. What we need is reserve the bright gold one for this is the last one. Everyone should applause. And the same thing is true when you're giving a talk. You need to say to everyone, this is the last one. Now you can applaud. And um, so people will know when it's my last one, but it's not ready yet. Sounds good. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today, Seth. This has been an, an incredible pleasure chatting with you. Um, I've enjoyed your speeches over the years, your, your books. So thanks for making time today. What's the best place you want to send people to connect with you? And I'll put links in the show notes, but what do you, what do you like to promote as your, your best place to find you? Um, if you go to Seth's blog, you can search uh, 7,500 blog posts. And if you go to akimbo.com, A-K-I-M-B-O, you can see all of our workshops and my podcast. Fantastic. We'll put those links in the show notes. Thanks again, Seth. I appreciate your time. Have fun. Thanks for doing this. Well, thank you for listening. And thank you to Seth for joining me on the Storytellers Network. You can connect with Seth at the links in the show notes. There's a whole bunch of them there. And if you enjoyed the episode uh, and enjoyed what Seth had to say, please share it with someone, uh, either personally or through social media. I really appreciate that. And if you want to share your story with me and connect, go to storytellersnetwork.com, hit contact Dan on the contact page and send me an email to let me know what's going on in your life. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers. Cheers.